some of the adults in the room, they might have an opinion on this. Some of you guys who are drivers might have an opinion on this. But um, one of the laws in our country that some people feel like is just a suggestion, speed limit. Yeah, I heard somebody say it. Is absolutely, you think it's a suggestion. The word limit implies you shouldn't go beyond it, right? Like, isn't that what the word limit actually means? I think that's what it means. So if you see a 55 mile per hour speed limit, you're supposed to limit your car to 50 mile, 55 miles per hour. Now, so you always add five or, or eight or 10 or 20. So it depends on who you are. So, so here's, what I, here's the thing. This is, this is how people look at laws like this, right? When people say, like, are you obeying the speed limit? Technically, when you're five over, you're not. But you're also not, but you're not getting pulled over, most likely, if you're going five over. But let me just tell you, I, I, grew, up, I grew up in Washington, D.C., and we get more snow than we get down here. This has been the most depressing winter of my life. Despite the fact that it's been warm, the fact that I have not even gotten close to even a threat of snow is, like, depressing. So this is really sad. But here's the thing is that I think, like, as somebody who grew up in Washington, D.C., and I learned to drive up there, like, there is this mentality in me that thinks if it snows here, I can handle myself. I won't freak out. But all the rest of these Southerners don't know what they're doing, right? Like, that's my mentality. But I remember there's a couple times in my life where I've been genuinely thinking, driving in a snowstorm, this is a bad idea. This is a really, really bad idea. And there's a couple times where I've been driving and my windshield wipers, as they were going like this to clear the snow off the windshield, would be freezing. So, like, your, your windshield wiper becomes an icicle, like, going like this across the glass. That really is not helpful. I've had it so bad where it's driving, and it almost looks like the wind is pushing the snow directly into your headlights. And so when your headlights are on and it's just hitting white flakes, it's blinding. It's like snow blindness. You have no idea what's going on. In those times, when I've driven in that type of weather, no matter how confident I am in my own ability, as a driver in the snow, I went the speed limit or under the speed limit. Because at that point, that law, that, that limit is a really good idea. It's a really smart idea to go that speed in those conditions. Now, I will tell you that even when you're up in D.C. or further north, where they get even more snow than I used to get, there are people who could care less whether it's snowing, whether it's a blizzard, whether it is pretty much like the day after tomorrow movie type of weather, they could care less. They are going to go fast because they want to get to their destination. Those people really don't care about the speed limit. They don't have any faith that the speed limit is there for their protection. They just believe in their own ability to get from point A to point D, B. And here, here's what I, I want to point out to you. There are times in our lives where the laws that are given to us, they feel restrictive. A speed limit of 55 miles per hour. Almost everybody in this room, some of the adults included, said, that seems a little too restrictive. You can add five to it. You're probably okay. But there's a scenario where that law is there for your protection, for your good, for the protection of those around you, which is why in a residential area the speed limit dram dramatically drops because there could be people walking. There could be pedestrians. And it's harder to slow down a car that's moving faster going at 55, 55 miles per hour than it is at 35 miles per hour. So it's smart. It's for your protection and for theirs. When I read this passage as a, as a believer in college, it really 
was one of my favorite scriptures because I finally understood what I had been missing about Christianity for so long. I grew up in, in thinking that I had to continue performing and acting a certain way because I called myself a Christian. And because other people knew me to be a Christian. I thought I had to hold up a standard, but I did it so that they would approve of what I said I was. I said I was a Christian, so therefore I had to act a certain way so that other people would say, yep, we see that in you. I literally remember, and this is not a, a way that you should measure your salvation, but I remember somebody came into uh, the school I went to, and they did a chapel, and they said, here's how you can know that you're saved. When people arrive at the, uh, the gates of heaven, and they're standing there, and God says, what about that guy? And they all can say, yeah, that person loves you, and that, person, that person's a Christian. That's what it's going to take, guys. You want to be that person where other people point at you and say, you're a Christian, and that will be what God looks at when you get into heaven. And as a kid, I heard that, and I was like, man, that, that is scary. So I need to prove to everybody else, prove to all of you that I love the Lord. Because if I don't, then how can I really truly know that I'm saved? That's the kind of fear that I lived in, and it's the type of fear that fed my obedience to God's laws. When I read this passage in 1 John 5, it changed the way that I, I lived my life with Christ. And I hope tonight it might do that for some of you, or it might help some of you understand some of the things that are tricky or hard, um, and it might help you to love him more. So let's read a little bit on 1 John 5. So verses 1 through 5 is where we're going to be tonight. Here's what it says. <clears throat> Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This passage, especially in verse, chapter, verse 3, is the one that I want you to focus on. And maybe it will do for you what it did for me when I was in college. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Last week, we talked about this. Do you say that you love God? Do you say that? Because in John, in John chapter, 1 John 4, he says, if anyone says, I love God. So the assumption is that there are people in our world or people in here that go around and say, I love God. You actually mouth and verbalize those words at some point. So if you love God, that is the question, right? Do you love God? Then this passage is saying that there is something in your love for God that is tied to obedience to God. Your love for God should be tied to obedience to him. It says, if this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. So there is an obedience. We love God and we obey his commandments. There is something to this. So last week I said, do you love God? And we said, does God fill your thoughts? Are his actions pleasing to you? Do you enjoy what he does? Do you think highly of him? Do his qualities capture your attention? And a lot of that is emotional connection to what God does. And a lot of times, our love for God is emotional. It should be. It is meant to be. It is an emotion. But then there's another side to this that you can't just take the emotion. It has to be attached to this. Love for God is not an emotional experience so much as, that, 
so much as a moral commitment, is what John Stott, a theologian, said once. Now, that statement right there sometimes makes the hairs on some of the back of your necks, if you have hair on the back of your neck, it makes that stand up for some of you. Because you've heard this before, and a lot of people think this is what church always boils down to. If you love God, you will obey everything he says. So it's all about keeping the law and the rules. That's what it all comes down to. And I think that over time what has happened is that anytime somebody in church talks about you need to obey the Lord, there needs to be obedience in your life. You need to submit to the God's authority. You need to follow his commandments and his laws. Whenever that type of language is said, this word legalism starts to come over your head and you don't want to hear whatever is about to be said because you get afraid that this is what they're trying to do again. They're trying to tell me what I can't do, what I can't wear, where I can't go, what I can't listen to, what I can't watch, what I can't say. Like, you're trying to control me again and that's what Christianity is all about, isn't it? That's what it is. And, and for so long, I thought the same thing. And I live my life not angry that that was what I thought Christianity was, but I lived in a fear of thinking, I have to do this, because if I don't do this, I can't call myself a, a Christian. But this doesn't actually last. And what feeds your obedience can't be a fear that you have to continue keeping and performing every single command. We just said a couple weeks ago, true love casts out fear. There is no fear in love. But that is the type of fear that I think so many people are living under or they're angry at. They're angry that the church is always just saying, you can't do this and you can't do this and you can't do that. And you can't say that and you can't be this way. You can't watch this. You can't, you can't do that. You can't wear this. And they make up a lot of rules. Rules that are not attached to scripture. They, they come from ideas in scripture, but they're not actually said in scripture. And that's the key. But as we'll see in a second, I, I don't think that we are in danger of actually going into legalism the way that it was in Jesus' day. I don't, I don't think we're that close. The Pharisees were legalists. And there's elements of their legalism that sometimes we try to take, but they were, they made us look like we were minor league. Listen to what Jesus says about them, the legalists of his day. Matthew 23, verses 4 through 7. These people tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all of their deeds to be seen by others. Later on, he says, they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. What he's saying is, is that these people had created a list of rules that were, again, based out of ideas of the Bible, but then added to it. And what they did with those additions is they started to... Uh, adopt those as their lifestyle and their way of living and so when they started doing that everybody else said wow how godly you are rabbi you are so strong in your faith you are amazing here come sit up front because you have lived such a holy godly lifestyle we want you to sit at our table because if we're seen with you a holy man such as yourself you're going to be great we will be seen as great but jesus calls it out and he says they love that. They love the honor they receive from their actions. 
But do you see what they're doing to other people? They're putting an expectation on them that they cannot possibly bear. It's hard to bear. It's a heavy burden. It lays on the people's shoulders. And while the, the Pharisees could have easily told them, that burden is not for you to carry, they could easily have lifted that burden off. They chose not to, even though they saw people carrying a heavy burden. Is that how you look at following Christ? It's a burden that's really heavy and hard to bear. Is that what you think it means to follow Jesus in your day? It's too heavy. It's, it's too hard. There's just too many rules. And everybody else is doing something different. And so then I have to stand out and be, it, it's just too challenging. It's going to require way too much of me to change. And, and it's just, it's heavy. And these adults keep telling me, like, I've got to be this way, a certain way. I've got to dress a certain way now. I don't know. I just, this is just too heavy. I, I just think it'd be easier to not. And so what ends up happening is you start to look at God's laws like we look at the speed limit. That's a creative suggestion, really. Like, it's a creative suggestion. It's probably okay to go a little beyond what you suggest, God. Because that, like, driving down a highway at 55 miles per hour, that seems a little restrictive. It seems downright dangerous. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, you got to keep with the flow of traffic, man. Like, if I'm going 55 and they're going 70, they're going to roll me off the road. So, therefore, you got to go beyond the limit. But it's that type of thinking that if we take that and apply that to God's laws, do you see how dangerous it can get? It gets to the point where you think that this is not serious. It's not for your good. It's just a suggestion. And God's loving, so he wouldn't quite possibly want to tell you to obey and limit what you're doing in this life. He wouldn't possibly want to limit that. He's about your flourishing. And too many times that's how we see rules. Whenever we hear obey God, it, 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 it stirs something in us that we're uncomfortable with. It's because we're rebels at heart. And rebellious people don't like to obey. We like to rebel. But what this passage taught me is that when I loved, when I, when I really truly was in a relationship with Christ where my heart was given to him and I made him the Lord of my life, it made it, it, made it true that his commandments weren't burdensome to me anymore. Those words, his commandments are not burdensome, jumped off the page to me. Literally, it's like God took a bold setting and highlighted it and just it screamed out to me his commandments are not burdensome anymore why are they not burdensome it's because instead of just looking at the rules i looked at the person who was telling me what i should do some of you guys are so stuck on the rules and you lose sight of the character of the one who's giving you the rules the one who's giving you the rules loves you the one who's giving you the rules knows better than you the one who's giving you the rules is doing it so that you may experience life and life in the full. The problem is, is that like those drivers along the side with me on the snowy roads I used to drive up in D.C., they thought they knew better. They thought they had it under control. So the fact that it said, go 55, it's really dangerous out there, and people have their hazards on, that means that it's not good. Just go for it, right? They thought, I've got this under control. So many times, that's how we look at God. I've got this under control. I don't need extra help. Your laws are great suggestions, but I've figured out how to live 
the best life that I want to live. That's what it, it comes down to. But when you are feasting on that, you're really feasting on a fear, not on the love of God. Let, let, let's, let's look at the other side of it. So, so instead of fear of what God's commandments are taking away from you, let's talk about what God's commandments are doing for you. Loving God is not just behaving right. It's having a heart that doesn't find his commandments to be crushing or a terrible weight. The psalmist says this, moreover, by them, this is talking about God's law, is your servant warned. So God's law warns us about things, but in keeping your law, there is a great reward. Jesus himself said this, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. This is a direct contrast. The world's trying to tell you following God is burdensome. It's going to crush you. It's going to crush your dreams. It's going to take away everything from you. It is literally like pulling up, filling up a backpack full of bricks and trying to walk through your life with a backpack of bricks all the time. You know, if you did that to somebody right now, they would be a hunchback in no time. Right? Like that, that's what the world is trying to tell you. And what Jesus is saying is don't listen to them. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Following me is light. Because you understand the one who is giving you the commands is doing it for your good and knows better than you. Rules by man are oppressive. Rules by God actually bring freedom. Rules by man will only change your behavior where they will be things that you can easily maintain. You ever notice that? Like true legalism things that say, okay, if you are a Christian, you will never listen to this type of music. Right? You will not watch this type of television show. Do you know what that does? That's telling you that if you just get this behavior out of your life, you can be holy. You know how easy that really is? I mean, you might think to yourself, but I really like that music. It's really good. Or I really like that television show. It's really fun to watch. But honestly, how easy it is it? You could just say, unplug the television. Take away your phone for a little bit. And you wouldn't be exposed to those things anymore. Do you see how it's easily controlled by a person? Human, human rules are easy for us to keep because we created them. God's rules are challenging for us to keep because they actually go beyond just a behavior. They go to a heart, and that's difficult. The good news of this is that he says that we keep them, and they're not burdensome, and we know that we are born of God, and we have a faith that brings us victory. So, so here's the other part is that God's rules are challenging. I'm not saying that they're not difficult to keep in some level, but the good news is that God's grace empowers you to keep those things, to follow him. That's what it really does. As we finish this up, I, John is introducing, for the first time actually, he actually uses the word faith. In this entire book, we've been studying it, and the word faith has never really appeared until now. And it's interesting, he talks about overcoming the world with faith. The only other time that we really kind of talked about the world in this book was a couple chapters ago in chapter 2 when he says, do not love the world or the things of the world. He says, get away from them. So now he's saying, you don't want to love the world, you want to overcome it. You want to beat it. You want to defeat it. Take you back to John 2, first John 2 for a second. When he talks about this, he says it's the desires of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. That's what the world wants you to fall in love with. And this is what the world wants to do. The world wants to destroy your faith. The world wants to take away your faith in Jesus, your trust that what Jesus says is good. It wants to take that away from you. And the way it wants to do that is by telling you, you don't have what you need. 
So go get what you don't have. Covet it. Want it. Because what you are lacking right now, you're missing something. So the world's going to tell you that. The world's going to tell you you're missing out. And that leads to coveting. Or if you have a lot of things like success or things are going well, the world's going to tell you you've got everything you need. You're good. You earned it. You're the best. So then it's going to feed your pride. The world's either going to tear you down and make you covet things you don't have, or it's going to build you up to the point by thinking you have all that you need and give you pride. But in either case, guess what it's doing? It's trying to destroy your trust that Jesus is enough. Coveting and pride are both doing the same thing. It's trying to destroy your belief, your faith that Jesus is enough. That's what it's trying to do. I shared this a couple weeks ago with the high school students. They may, some of them may remember this, but in, in Sunday school, I was rereading the Garden of Eden story. And, and I was rereading when Satan tempts Eve. And one of the things that Satan says to, to Eve to get her to take of the fruit and eat is that basically God's holding out on you. God, God doesn't want you to be like him because he knows that if you take of the fruit and eat it, then you'll know what he knows and you'll be like him. And that was a direct attack on God's character because, one, it was telling her that God is lying to her. God doesn't lie. But also, you know what he was really doing? He was attacking God's character as a giver. He was saying, listen, God doesn't want to give you things. He wants to keep things from you. But God is ultimately, in his character, is a giving God. He gives you life. He gave you this world to live in. He gave you his son. He is a giving God. But Satan attacked the idea that God is a giver. And Eve bought that lie. He's holding, he is trying to hold out. He isn't a giving God. See, the world's trying to tell you that if you follow Jesus, you're going to miss out. He's holding something back from you. He, you're you're going to miss out on fun. You're going to miss out on friends. You're going to miss out on opportunities. You're going to miss out on joy. You're going to miss out on happiness because you're going to just be like this. Oh, i gotta, got to follow Jesus today. You, that's, that's what it's going to be. That's what the world wants you to believe. The, world's want, the world wants you to believe that you'll be suffocated by his commands when honestly his commands are what actually save you. His his the commands he gives you, obedience to him actually frees you from suffocation because pride and greed is actually suffocating and choking your life. The idea that you want more that you don't have or the idea that you're good enough and you don't really need God, those ideas are suffocating you, whether you realize it or not. And Jesus wants you to overcome the world. Faith in him is what will do it. It is not because you have a great amount of faith, but it's what you have faith in. And if your faith is placed in Christ, then you are able to overcome the schemes of the world. The schemes of the world tell you that his rules are not the way that the world works. You should do it this way. Don't follow what he says. If you follow what he says, you're going to miss out. When he says, if you follow me, you will find life and find life everlasting. He gives you commands for your joy and for your good, not for your displeasure. When you find that his commands to you are no longer something that you dread keeping, then you know that your faith is growing. This is what Jesus wants you to know. 2 Corinthians 4, I shared something similar 
in 2 Corinthians with you guys last week, talking about the eyes of those who don't know Christ are blinded. And when we share the gospel with them, we are taking part in God's spiritual unblinding, right? We get to take part in that. That's a miraculous event that we get to take part in. Later on in that same chapter, this is what God says. God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, so what faith really is, is a trust that Jesus is enough, that Jesus is better. And, and what God is telling you in 2 Corinthians 4, 6 is that when Jesus is into, shines a light into your heart, what you see is the glory of God in Christ, and that makes everything else look so small and insignificant compared to him. That's what so many people don't figure out when they try to beat sin. When they try to follow God's commands, what they've, what they've missed is they've missed the greatness of Christ. The greater Christ is to you, the more you want to be close to him. And the more that you want to be close to him, the more that you will take great steps. You will take giant radical steps in your life to push other things out of the way that hinder you getting to Christ. But the first thing that you need before you do that is you have to see the glory of him and compare him to what the world sees. So many of you guys, you do that. You'll weigh him up and you don't see him as great as he is yet. And you still see the world is too big. And when the world's too big to you, he's too small and he's not worth making big moves, big changes. He's got to be bigger in your life in order to make those changes. Here's the last thing that John says in here. Faith in Jesus is victory. He says it again. This is our victory that has overcome the world. It's our faith. Our faith, again, not because we have great faith, but because we have faith in a great person, faith in Christ. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes, has faith, that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, that word victory gets thrown around a lot. So many people love talking about it. We live in victory as Christians. We do. We, we've got victory over everything. That doesn't mean that everything is great. What it means is the conflict is still around us. We still live in a war zone, but the outcome is already settled. So, so while the conflict is not settled, the outcome is. And I don't just mean for eternity. I don't just mean like when you go to heaven and hell and the, the, you know, hell is thrown away and you are just walking with Jesus on the streets of gold. I don't just mean that. I mean today the outcome is settled. Too many times, too often in our lives right now as believers, we live in defeat, thinking, I can't overcome this. This sin in my life is too great, and it just continues to show back up in my life, and I can't overcome this. Why do I keep stumbling over the same things, whether it's anger, whether it's lying, whether it's greed, whether it's sexual immorality, whatever it is in your life that you get stuck up on, and you're like, I just can't defeat this. I am defeated by this. That's where you have to come back to saying your faith in Christ can allow you to overcome. Again, your faith in Christ is this, trusting that what Jesus says is good, is good. Trusting that Jesus says this is right, is right. And trusting when Jesus says, I am the greatest thing that ever has come into your life, he means it. Nothing else will compare to him. And until you see that clearly, 
his commandments will be burdensome. But once you see that, then you understand, I'll do anything to be with that one because he's greater than the things that are in the world. I'll finish up with this, and this is just on a personal level. I, I, re- I recognize when Jesus became that, that, that idea for me, when I, when I understood that he as a person was greater than what the world was trying to offer me, what I understood is I saw the things that the world was offering, and I said, you know what? There's, there's something in that that is attractive. It's attractive, sure. It's tempting. That's why temptation exists, because there's an attraction in it. It's not ugly. It has something to it that looks pleasing to the eye. Just like when Eve took the fruit, she saw it, and she said, man, that fruit looks pleasing. There's something that looks pleasing there. But what, what it was for me is that I finally had to humble myself and say, Lord, I don't know what is actually right for me. You do. I, I know myself, but you created me, and you know me better than I even know myself. You know what is out there, and you know what is good. I think I know what's good, but you do. That humility was what finally got me to say, following you is worth it. Being near you is so much better than being near the world. I want more of you rather than more of the world. And when you get that, that's when sin starts to become pressed down. And that's when your faith helps you overcome. And that's when you can start to live in what victory, according to scripture, is. Is that there are times in your life where the battle is real and it hurts and the conflict is there. But the outcome is already settled. And the outcome is, if you're a Christian, sin can't destroy you. The enemy can't have you. Because you belong to someone else. And greater is he who is in the world. Greater is he, sorry, is in you than is he who is in the world. That was a couple of chapters ago. So just remember that. Your faith is overcome. You, the conflict might be real, but the outcome's settled. And the world can't have you because you're his. All right, let's pray.